Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, whatever. All right, welcome back to Author News Weekly. I'm Ari McGee. Thanks for joining us. If it's your first time joining us, what took you so long? You should be here listening to the magnificent panel that we have. And uh, let me introduce them so you can see that I'm not just full of shiitake mushrooms. Uh, first, I would like to welcome my friend who's on top of a mountain somewhere right now uh, in a real Yoda situation, uh, Mr. Jim Heskett. <laughs> Hello, thanks. Happy to be here. <laughs> Hello. Uh, next is someone who's uh, in her private life very afraid of moose. <laughs> Musai, moose. I yes. think it's just moose. <laughs> uh, it, that sounds like it's not enough effort to say moose for that. So uh, I've got Pippa Warner. Hello. And I definitely waited until she was taking a swig of her yeah. coffee before I did that, like a real jerk. Uh, last but not least, our friend who's chilling out on the big island, not the big island, one of the islands over. It is the big island. Ha! Mm. See, I guessed right. The the big island. When you, when you look at all the islands, it's the big one. That's how you know it's the big island. <laughs> Wonderful. I'll have to get well acquainted with my geography, Mr. Nick Dacker. So how are you guys doing? Everything good? Everything good? good. All right. Everything good deal. All right. So here's my question before we start this week. Uh, I listened to a, a fight between my children and uh, <laughs> the the bad guy in Harry Potter. All right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hard tea or soft tea? What are we going with? Uh, hard tea. I'd always gone hard tea, but I mean, she speaks French. She's a native French speaker, isn't she? Mm, yes. I, so, that, well, one of my like, children was informing the other. It's Voldemort. That's how mm, they really mm, pronounced it. Mm, so, I, I did kind of sense a like Frenchness to his voice, to be fair. Mm. Yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> In any event, uh, without further ado, what do you guys say we get into the news? Let, Let us get into the news. While we're here. I've got a thing for that, I believe. <laughs> nice. We are unstoppable. I love it. I love it. All right. So the first story I got for you guys this week comes to us from Written Word Media. Uh, you guys know them as the people who have uh, Bargain Booksy and Free Booksy, and they mm-hmm. have put out something that's called the uh, author's guide to ebook pre-orders. Now it's pretty lengthy. There's a lot of questions and and strategies that they use here. Um, So my question would be to you guys without getting into all this, we'll have a link in there for the the listeners to go check out if they want to see this article by Clayton uh, Noblet. What do you guys think about pre-orders? Are they good? Are they bad? Are you indifferent? Uh, What do you think, Pippa? You into pre-orders? I, was always into pre-orders because, I mean, if you have a link, there's a chance someone might just click it and buy the thing, which is always what you're looking for. I have heard recently that I should not be doing pre-orders on Amazon, but I still don't know why. And since I have nothing up for pre-order yet, I haven't devoted the time to figuring it out. <laughs> hmm. um, I had heard that they are much better wide than they are on Amazon, and I haven't delved into the reasons behind that. So now I'm that person on the podcast just spreading what might be misinformation <laughs> because I haven't done my Shameful. research. <laughs> well, 
I, we before, expect nothing, nothing but that. <laughs> so I guess the, the conventional wisdom for that would be what, guys? That uh, if you run – because I'm – all my books are exclusive and I always run pre-orders and the conventional wisdom is that you kind of uh, hurt your chances at ranking highly when you launch. Uh, if you've been spreading the sales out over X amount of time, is that, is that the deal or what? I think so. Yeah. From what I understand, Amazon does not count pre-order sales on release day. So if you're trying for rank, Amazon doesn't add those up. But according to Urban Legend, uh, some other platforms like Apple Books do count. Those I thought Amazon sales. does count them, but not like a full sale on release day. Like I kind of gives you. I, I think I was talking to Mal Cooper about this, and uh, correct. I mean, this, Mal, sorry if I if if this isn't if this wasn't you. I thought we were chatting about it at one of the Vegas conferences, and um, came to the conclusion that. It gives you a bit, it seems to give a bit of a boost when the sale is made, when the pre-order sale is made. So if somebody orders 10 copies of the pre-order, mm -hmm. you might get a little bit of a, a little bit of a boost organic um, rank wise. And then likewise, you get kind of the rest of the boost on launch day. I don't remember if that was just anecdotal um, from experience, but that seems to make sense to me. Like Amazon wouldn't want us to game the system by counting them all on one day. Mm -hmm. But likewise, you know, it doesn't want to, um, you know, prevent any, I don't know, organic, um, organic reach from getting yeah. a pre-order sale early on. I guess I don't really know. I mean, I, I definitely don't know. So I'm not guessing also, about that part. <laughs> do you know that at some of the other retailers, you as an indie author specifically can apply to have your book featured while it's still a pre-order? So like theoretically that could happen when you're at Amazon, except it's probably not going to happen for most indie authors. At places like D2D, those pre-order ones are actually done via a person reading your manuscript and deciding, like, you can submit it and um, right. they can decide if they want, if they think it's great and want to feature it. And so you'll have some interesting chances that way. Um, only thing is, I think at Kobo, you can't upload and have no preview. So if you're just doing a pre-order before any of it's written... <laughs> You need to specifically email them and be like, please take down the sample chapters. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I'm, I'm only exclusive, so I, I can only speak to the KU thing. But the, the, the reasons I've – there's two main reasons I've done pre-orders in the past for mine. And uh, the first one is simply uh, it's a hard deadline and sometimes that's, help, that's helpful for authors. You know, you put a book up for pre-order, you can do a whole year now uh, in advance. And so that gives you up to a year to, to finish the book minus the – two or three days, whatever they require beforehand. Um, that's been actually pretty helpful for me because I can schedule like, Hey, I know I need to get this done. Um, and, and I'm going to just go ahead and put this up so that I know that I'm not going to miss it. And then of course, because I am Nick Thacker, um, I've missed it before and then been taken out of the pre-order for a whole year. Um, and so I've had to, that, that's happened. Yes. I've, I've been there. Um, and, uh, you can and, tell a long-term uh, indie by how many times they've gotten kicked out of KU. Yeah, right exactly. <laughs> one year in, one year out, one year in. Um, and then the second reason is more of a marketing reason, and that is um, it gives you the ability to send out a potentially better price to your mailing list folks, to your, your hardcore fans, um, and then launch at a higher price. So I, I always launch my books at six ninety nine, dollars um, but there have been times where I've done like a two ninety nine dollars or $4.99 pre-release to my mailing list because – ostensibly I like them and um, I want to reward them for something. Um, 
So that way, that gives me an, an ability to send them, hey, here's a deal. Here's $4.99 for the, for the book. You'll get it on the day it's released. Because at any time when you raise the price of the pre-order to six nine to, to higher, any new sales are supposed to come in um, at the higher price, not the lower one. But it, it's opposite, right? If uh, It's vice Correct. versa. If you lower yeah. the price, then everybody gets the book at the lower <laughs> price than even if they pre-purchased it at six ninety nine. Right. Get it yeah. at four, right. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I've done, I, I don't recommend starting at a higher price for pre-order and then changing your mind or you're going to, whatever those sales you've gotten, you'll lose, um, you'll lose money on. So anyway, but I've done that before. That's been a good, a good marketing kick, you know, to just get some interest and some initial sales built up. But I don't know. I need to do a better test on that. Uh, the ranking thing. Cause I'm not quite sure if any listener out there knows or seems to know, just let me know. Let us know. That's right. Jim. What do you think? I do a, a quiet pre-order 100% of the time so I can get the ASIN at least a couple weeks before the release date, you know, because there's a lot of things you can't do without that ASIN, um, you know, like make sure that your BookBub, uh, BookBub alerts set up and that it's on Goodreads and all the other things that I need that ASIN. I mean, you can use like a link shortener like Pretty Link to fake it until you have it, but then there's always, if you insert that pretty link or link shortener or whatever into your emails, there's always a chance that that could fail. Um, so I like to have the ASIN so I can use a real Amazon link, but I don't really push pre-orders to my readers very much. Um, cause I think pretty much only the most diehard fans are going to buy a pre-order anyway. I think there's still that kind of instant gratification block to being like, Hey, get my book. And then they go and they're like, Oh, well I can get it and read it two months from now but I want it now. So tell me about it again, two months from now. And then that's potentially somebody I've lost. And I'd rather have that rank boost on release day, but yes, to sum up quiet pre-order so I can get the ASIN to make sure that all the ducks are in a row before release day. Okay. Well, I think that sounds pretty good. So I don't think any of us are totally against pre-orders, but I think it probably makes sense to use them. Uh, however, they work for you like a tool in your arsenal. So, We'll leave the pre-order game. We're going to go over to another story. The next two stories are kind of interconnected. So you guys being the smart futurist types that you are, <laughs> I want to see what you guys think about these things and maybe what they mean for the future. So the headline of this next story is uh, comes to us from the passive voice. Uh, Inkit raises $16 million uh, to publish crowdsourced novels in many episodes. So that's kind of a lot to wrap your head around, but basically they're doing uh, Kickstarter-ish things to publish novels in short bursts, like in episodes, you know? And so, you know, they're saying that they're, they, uh, the Berlin-based startup called Inkit has built a crowdsourced publishing platform. And, uh, you know, they believe that, if it's presented the right way that they could bring in money as they're publishing things uh, from their new bite-sized immersive reading app called Galeta, Gal Galatea. Uh, so I think this is interesting. I think, uh, you know, we all have different options than this Galatea to crowdsource things. Uh, I'm basically wondering, what do you guys think about this ideal? And then what do we think about crowdsourcing in general? Is it a fad or is this something that indies can put in their toolbox to use? Uh, let's see, who's the most futurist person? Nick is the most futurist, <laughs> futurist person. What do you think, Nick? 
I actually live in the future. I'm three seconds ahead. I uh, agree. Myself, I myself agree. 100% of the time. So I was trying to find it. I couldn't, I think I've changed hard drives and email accounts a thousand times since then. But um, in 20, it would have been 2015, I was emailing back and forth with an author about an idea. This was uh, his idea, um, essentially, this this right away. I, I sent something over and, and he said, um, yeah, you, what you should do is this kind of like crowdsourced idea where different authors can um, collaborate and work with different readers as well and just kind of make these stories. Anyway, it was, it was basically this idea. Uh, and I was like, that's great, but that wasn't the idea I wanted to build. Um, and he said, well, you should build the idea that I had instead. And I said, well, that's okay. I don't really want to. Um, that author was Hugh Howie. And so I'm kind of pissed at myself for not doing it. Um, <laughs> I don't know if, uh, if, if he had anything to do with this one, but it was, it was very similar to this idea I like this idea. I think it's a really interesting way of creating new content. Um, and if there's anything that this this world has taught me, it's content is king and it's going to be king, whether that is written by AI or crowdsourced by authors and readers and, um, you, you know, or commissioned by uh, brands. I mean, there's all kinds of new forms of content that are going to be uh, new forms of story specifically that are going to be making the rounds. Um, and it, it sort of is the Wild West now that we've got technology to help us um, expand the reach on the sales front, we also are finding this, what this is, we're finding, we're expanding the reach on the, on the creation front as well. Um, right. So previously you'd have to know somebody uh, in person to co-write with them. And then the internet came along. Now we don't have to know them in person. We can just interact with them remotely. And now this is like the next step of that is not only do we have to know them on the internet, um, not, we don't, not only do we not have to know them, we can have, some more anonymity and some more um, randomness and, and mass appeal for that. I guess bottom line for me is I'm excited to see what this is. I might, um, you know, just browse their website. If you're listening to this, just check out what they're doing. You know, don't have to jump in um, head first or anything, but this is the kind of stuff we as authors should know about um, and, and be paying attention to because uh, at some point we're going to be competing with robots essentially machines that are writing stories and we're going to be competing with crowdsourced everything. Um, this doesn't even get into, sorry, I, I love futurism type stuff in, in self-publishing. Uh, this doesn't even get into the, uh, the, the, the future of interactivity with this kind of stuff, but there's, I think that's coming down the pike as well, where we're going to watch Netflix and it's going to be able to ask, we can be able to create our own story essentially as we go. Um, you say, Hey, you know, I'd really like to see, you know, with deep faking, I'd like to see, um, Jonathan Taylor Thomas uh, instead of Leonardo DiCaprio in this and go ahead and it's going to pop, pop it out. It was a deep pull. That was a deep pull. You there. Like yeah. Jonathan <laughs> Taylor Thomas. I like it, man. I like it. I want to see, I want to see the movie Tom and Huck, but uh, with, uh, with Josh Jackson playing, uh, playing the role of Huckleberry Finn and, uh, and, and Quentin Tarantino himself playing the role of Tom Sawyer. There you go. I like it. <laughs> I'm sure it'd become a feet movie all of a sudden. <laughs> Jim went there. <laughs> I implied. <laughs> oh man. Sorry. That was a very rambly long. No, answer, no, no. I, this I is this kind of stuff. Yeah. This is There's, what I'm throwing spaghetti at the wall and we're going to see what's going to stick. You know, it may not be this exact thing, but the spaghetti has been thrown at the wall folks. And so something's going to stick and it's going to be, it's going to be very different than what we're used to as writers, as creators. And I say, let the people with $16 million throw the spaghetti at the wall. Heck yeah. If they want to throw some of that $16 million spaghetti toward me, 
I can build some cool stuff too. That's a lot of spaghetti. It's a lot, it's a lot of spaghetti. spaghetti. Mm. It's less spaghetti out here in Hawaii, but it's still a lot of spaghetti. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, uh, what do you guys think? Any, anybody else have anything to add about that? What, have you looked into this, or what do you think about? Uh, have you looked into uh, aside from the futurism aspect of it? Have you guys looked into crowdsourcing at all? Uh, yeah, there's a now for you. This is actually a really good question because I feel like the kind of stuff that you write might lend itself. Uh, to crowdsourcing a little more, Pippa, because you know you're writing like fantasy and sci-fi. There's cool pictures and stuff you can entice people with. So, do you do anything like that? Um, I do have a Patreon. It steadily brings in about a week's worth of grocery money per month. So, like, I don't want to brag, but <laughs> hey, hey, that's a. <laughs> It's steak week, guys. Let's do this. I don't want to brag, but I do get the double stuff Oreos. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's something I've looked into, and it's something that I really like the idea of uh, going back and forth because it allows your readers to have more of a – I like the idea of them having more of a window into your process. Um, it both – fascinates me and terrifies me because I'm someone who doesn't want anyone to see my rough drafts, but that is uh, what people seem to want to see and like want to see the editing process and want to have a, a window into what what's coming next and be able to weigh in on that. And I do like the idea of readers being involved in story development because that's, I mean, stories aren't really real until people have started reading them, right? And interacting in that way. And so bringing them into the development seems like the logical next step. Um, in this case, I'm a little put off by PG's assessment of the contract terms, but I will definitely be looking into it a little bit more and, and watching to see what people's uh, experiences with them are like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does seem like a way that using maybe not this one in particular, but crowdsourcing, you could, uh, you know, nur nurture those thousand true fans maybe a little more mm -hmm. and give them a little more uh, of what they're looking for, kind of set the hook a little bit more for them. Um, all right. I'm going to get Jim's take on this next story uh, because mm -hmm. it's kind of related in a in a roundabout tertiary sort of way. So. The, the big, bold headline on this, the above-the-fold headline is, The Future Will Be Monthly, Subscription Models for Authors. And this comes to us from uh, Indies Unlimited by a fella named James Palmer. And uh, basically, he is likening uh, where authors are going to things like Netflix and Loot Crate and Amazon Prime. And so... He, his question is, you know, how can publishing get in on this kind of trend? Um, so, you know, he's talking about Patreon. You know, there's some stuff uh, about, you know, what Dean Wesley Smith does with his own magazine that he puts out every month with uh, stories and things like that. Um, something I think is pretty interesting is uh, John G. Hartness using Gumroad and Patreon uh to sell his $5 short stories. Um, and so, you know, that's interesting. You know, there's also, they mentioned that, you know, if you sell through some of these roads, you can charge less because they take less money than Amazon does. So it's kind of a win all the way around. Uh, you guys, you guys, what do you, Jim, what do you think about this subscription idea? You think this is a thing? 
Um, yeah, I think the the future of publishing is definitely subscription based, uh, but I think it's going to be bundled subscriptions. And here, let me explain that, please. So, like in the back in the '90s, when when cable TV was starting to get really big and really expensive, and everybody was like, "Why are we paying fifty bucks a month for two hundred channels when I only need 10? So the world said, "Okay, we don't like that, so we'll split it all up." Now there's streaming services, and so every channel is its own streaming service, and now you can get the reality where you only pay a la carte for the stuff you want, but then you find out that paying a la carte for all the stuff you want adds up to more than the cost of cable, right? That's the conundrum. And so what the streaming services are, are figuring that out, that not everybody wants to pay 150 bucks a month just to be able to see every show. So they're starting to bundle. They're starting to bundle services. And what they're doing is they're bundling services just like how cable networks operate because that's the only affordable model to get everything you want is if everything's bundled. So in the future, I don't think every if every single author has a Patreon and every single author sells that books that way, our readers are not going to be able to afford all of our books. You know, you're going to be paying – you can't pay a monthly subscription for Nick's books, a monthly subscription for RA's books, monthly subscription for every other author you like. So authors are going to come together and form like indie-owned, you know, like author-owned publishing collectives where you pay 10 bucks a month and you get books from these 15 authors. I think that's the, that's the future we should work toward. Do you mean like Thriller Cartel? Exactly, like the Thriller <laughs> Cartel. <laughs> Yeah. So what Jeff's talking about is something that, you know, he and I and a few others have been kind of working on behind the scenes and hopefully we'll launch here in a month or so, depending on when this airs. Um, but that's, that's exactly where, I mean, I, I fully agree with you, Jim. I think that's exactly where we're going. You're going to be able to carve out say, Hey, what does 10 bucks a month get me Amazon and Amazon? And I don't think it'll be Amazon, but some other platform, wherever this is, will say, okay, um, you can get, um, Jim's books, Nick's books and Kevin Tomlinson's books um, for $10 a month. And that is on average about one book every month. Um, that may not be worth it to them. Right. So then maybe they'll add in an author who's more prolific has, has writes a little faster instead of, and they'll kick me out and they'll, they'll put in RA and say, okay, well now on average, you're, you can expect to get one book per month. Um, and at any point you can go in and change your subscription to another author, you know, or, or maybe there's an author who's worth and I'm putting finger quotes here <laughs> less than another author. And so, you know, for five bucks, a month, they're, they're basically a, a $1 a month author and you can bundle 10 of them together. I just think that there's some really intri intriguing possibilities there. Um, I also think, and this is a, a slight, um, slightly different thing. It's on the other side of it. This is the, how we get paid right now. Um, we are uh, getting paid from a pool model where all the money that gets paid in, I'm talking specifically Kindle unlimited. Um, which is a lot of us listening to the show or on the show are, are involved with. Um, we all, you know, the, the readers pay into a pool, they're $10 a month, and that pool gets split up evenly amongst all of the pages that have been read in their system. Or in other words, all of the money gets split um, between all the authors in the system. And so what happens is a lot of the money goes to the authors who get read a lot and a lot less money goes to the authors who don't get read a lot. That's all really obvious, right? But what's happening in the music world right now, SoundCloud just announced they're going to um, a, a more user-centric model where, um, for example, if I go on SoundCloud and I pay my $10 a month, um, but then I only listen to three bands, those three bands split my $10, right? Mm -hmm. So my money doesn't go to Dua Lipa or you know, whoever the, the top pop EDM, you know, whatever it, that month is um, on the platform because I didn't listen to them at all. 
It only goes to where I listened. Um, the reason we can't do that yet is um, ostensibly what Spotify CEO came out and said is, or the, maybe CFO said, we can't account for that. It, it just costs too much manpower to be able to figure out where the money should go. So this is related because um, I, what, what happens in the music industry tends to happen in the book industry 10 years later. Um, and so if, if these platforms move to a, to a user-centric payment system instead of pool, um, I think, and it may not, again, be Amazon, but I think we're looking at a future where the authors, the, the, the small-time, you know, mid-list authors are going to get paid a lot more. And the big, na- big names that get the KU payouts every month are going to get paid slightly less. They're still going to get paid a lot of money because people are reading those books. But anyway, this is related because, um, uh, well, because it is, well, because it's about books. No, <laughs> I think um, this is all related to subscriptions. And uh, we're talking about the futurism of this stuff. Um, the w- the answer to the question, how can we get the manpower to be able to figure out this payments is you don't. You build a computer system that can do it. You build an AI that can figure this out. Um, this is all going to be software run and we're going to have faster computers oh, yeah. and be able to, to just easily manage this. I find it a little hard to believe that they don't, that that was the reason they said they didn't do it already. It's obviously to me something different, but. Although it does make me wonder about the whole, like, this is what you listened to last year. If that was like part of their, all right, so we're delving into this and I bet we could package this nicely for social media. Yeah, I understand there's a little bit more of an accounting burden on on this because they're they're just showing you what you listen to, which is that's Mm -hmm. already in their system. They just kind of make a dashboard and show us that there's a, there's an extra step here of paying oh. the authors or the uh, artists beta based on that. But I think that's where we're going. I think it's a much more fair model in general. You know, your money should be split amongst in Kindle, the money, the, the books that I read, those authors should get paid my $10 subscription every month. Right. I, I mean, I understand the pool system. There's nothing inherently wrong with it, but I think this is more fair. So I think what Jim's talking about hundred percent, I agree with, I'm also adding, I think this is where subscription model is going for people, for creators. I like it. I right. like it. Another way for me to have books that are piling up that I don't read. <laughs> <laughs> my endless to be read list. <laughs> yes. I've got my very own slush pile and I just can't get through it. All right. So that's good. I think that there are definitely some things that we got to keep an eye out on. And there's some things to be uh, optimistic about going forward for us as indie authors let's go on to to kind of a weird story here um it comes from uh the guardian i guess um there's an author that they have been uh speaking with named uh raven leilani and i guess she came out with a book named luster a book called luster um i'm not i'm not here saying yay or nay on luster so if you want to read it, it's about a, uh, a young black woman who has an affair with a middle-aged white man and lives with their family while they cheat. I don't know. I guess that's steamy. But what caught me as interesting about it is she says that she learned about storytelling from Final Fantasy games. And I that kind of piqued my interest a little bit. I, I think that that's kind of interesting. You know, I know that we're always talking about you know, refilling the creative well and reading books and watching movies and and trying to, you know, ingest stories that way. Uh, But I've never really thought about video games as an avenue. Uh, Is that, what do you guys think about that? You think that there's enough, are we, are we living in a world where the video games are so uh, content heavy that people are learning how to write books from them? And uh, if so, 
have you learned anything from any of the video games that you've played? Let's see who plays Pippa. You're a gamer. I know deep down you're a gamer. So uh, <laughs> what do you think about this? Uh, well, there's a couple of things. Uh, first of all, absolutely. The games are story heavy enough for that sort of thing. Um, and some of my favorite, most heartbreaking, most amusing story moments that I can remember have come from various video games that I've been playing. Um, one of the things, though, is definitely it's like when you um, for anyone who's done the whole save the cat screenwriting into novel writing method, you realize that, for instance, there are a lot fewer beats in most movies than there are in most novels. And so you like it doesn't translate exactly over. You need to spin things out into more scenes. Um, and in the same way, there are some differences in storytelling between video games and um and books. And one of those things is you can often shorthand a lot of emotional moments because even if all you're doing is pointing and clicking or you've done a battle to get to something, you are so much more invested um, and you feel a lot more in charge of the story and, and part of the story. And so um, some arcs that work in video games need to be adapted very differently in novels. But in general, I'm hugely in favor of people busting open new storytelling methods by mixing genres. I think that's great. And some of the stuff that's coming out in video games for how to tell stories and changing all, challenging all of the, what do you need to make a story and what should the structure be and things like that um, is huge. I mean, looking at games like Mass Effect, for instance, where they've tailored a story that hangs together tightly with a whole bunch of missions going in any which order. That's an incredible storytelling feat. Mm. Games that large. So, um, yeah, there's all sorts of stuff you can get from video games. Mm. Right on. Jim, you gaming much? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't um, I don't know if I could say how much how much video games had a storytelling influence on me growing up because, you know, it's mostly Super Mario Brothers. And, um, but I mean, I played the crap out of Final Fantasy one, two, three, and seven. But now is an amazing time for video games. You know, um, stuff like The Last of Us is a zombie story and it's better than any zombie story that's been on TV and it's a video game. And it's amazing that you get to play through it and experience those choices in the agency. Maybe it helps me see stories through my protagonist's eyes better. I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling and making this up off the top of my head, but mm. games today are amazing in the terms of their storytelling content. You know, I played video games that made me cry, which is insane to think about. Mm. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Nothing to add here. I mean, it's, we all um, get inspiration from each other and I think games have taken it from books and movies and comic books. And now we're taking it from games and feeding, you know, it's all just the same cycle. You know, we're just feeding each other with it. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds good, man. I agree. Wherever you can get some inspiration and some uh, some ideals from, I am all for it. So I'm kind of looking at the time here, and I think we are going to start wrapping it up. Uh, before I do that, does anyone have anything they want to add about any of the stories that we that we got into? You know, no. Sometimes we get staircase staircase wit. And I don't want you guys to miss out on the chance. All right. Seeing as there is nothing. After we talk about all our stories every week, you guys know a little thing I like to do is hear something good for the week from somebody. So does someone have something good in any facet 
to tell me about this week, to perk me up, to get me through the next week? There was a, um, a surplus of COVID shots at the Minneapolis VA last Friday, and we got my husband the last one. Oh. We had a whole set of friends that called us until one of us picked up <laughs> and got us on the phone to call the VA. So, well, so we feel quite I mean, lucky. I thought you were going to say there was a surplus, so they just handed them out, and you guys had like lawn dart type COVID <laughs> vaccine wars in the front lawn. We, yeah, we chase around anti-vaxxers just <laughs> with darts. <laughs> Throw them at the people <laughs> holding signs on the side of the highway, right? I think I think there's something to this lawn dart idea that we shouldn't let go of so easily. You know, I think no, we should. Yeah, I mean, lawn darts are still totally uh, around and legal, so certainly nothing can go wrong with yes. changing it to a vaccinated tip. Yeah. <laughs> Blowing it up and just making it rain. I love it. All right. Well, <laughs> good times, man. Good times. Well, in any event, uh, if you have made it this far listening, thank you. And if you have anything that you want us to talk about, uh, you can drop a drop us a line at anwtips at gmail.com, anwtips at gmail.com. Tell us who you are. Tell us what you want to hear about. And I'm sure I can put in a word with these three to get them to mention it on an upcoming show. So from all of us at ANW, I'm Ari McGee saying this meeting is over. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>